You are listening to Speak on it with Who You With, Kurt Dog. I'm M, Who You With, Kurt Dog. Uh, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. Uh, D Live is in the house, uh, recording for Anchor.fm. I think this is our fifth segment for tonight. Uh, so it's we having a good conversation with Radio Chaos out of Canada. Um, so. We're talking about a little bit of everything tonight. Catching up for all the nights we haven't been here due to uh, my work schedule. So, um, yeah, that's that's good to know about that hockey um, radio because hockey is, um, I think, it's a is a real physical sport because you got to be in shape. I I tried ice hockey when I was younger. But I won't do it today because I don't heal as quick. Uh, <laughs> after a certain age, you well, just. Funny, I'm Canadian, man. I've never, I've never played hockey in my life. Never played ice hockey at all. I can't skate. Can't do any of that stuff. Well, I as for roller skating, I'll roll around the thing close to the edge if I can hold on and slide around. Because I always have a fear of falling. And, and, you know, at a certain age, when you fall, you just don't heal that quick. So, um, but ice hockey, I did do it as a, as a teenager. Uh, my mom used to work for this company and they would take, uh, she worked for a company that dealt with youths that, that been in trouble with the law and, they would always take their youths to different camps. Um, they'd take them ice hockey, something like that. Uh, different things, give them different environment for they would change their act and get them back on road. Uh, I don't know if this company is still in business or not, or not but DCMI, um, which was a real group, a real good program because even though my mom worked there, um, my brother and I would go up there after school, be involved in, with a lot of stuff, and they kept us on the right track. So, um, uh, I definitely. Yeah, the only downside with hockey is, is it's really expensive. Though. Like, if you want to put your kid into hockey, I mean, you're buying skate, new skates every couple of years, you know, because the kid's growing. Whereas basketball, you know, you can go down to the playground and play basketball, but hockey, you got to join a league. Nobody's, not everybody's got access to an ice rink and True. <laughs> all the pads and all that kind of stuff. Even up here, it's super expensive. Parents spend thousands of dollars on it now. I think here in Dallas, we have a we have a couple of uh, uh, ice rinks that came up. Uh, well, I know one place we would go to the mall, like North Park Mall and Ice Skate or Arlington Mall Ice Skate. But now I want to say Dallas Stars have a ice rink that is for uh, for uh, younger folks and also for adult teens. And then I think they have like two locations for that where you could join a league or something like that. So that's always good. But I haven't been since I was a teenager many, 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 many moons ago. <laughs> So I well, think it, it's kind of funny because the uh, the guy that owns the Dallas Stars, he's uh, from Vancouver. I know that guy. Oh, okay. Well, shoot. What's his name? Uh, 
Tom Gillardi. Okay. That's his name. He wanted to buy the team up here, but the league, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, they didn't want him to own the team here. So he ended up um, buying the team in Dallas. But, uh, yeah, I knew him and his family. Mm. Well. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a small world that way. But, um, yeah, he... They own a chain of hotels up here called the Sandman Hotels, and they made a lot of money doing that. Um, he tried to buy the Canucks, so that, that's our team up here called the Canucks. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't know, like there was politics involved. So then I guess he moved to uh, Dallas, and uh, he bought the team down there. So he's the majority owner of the Dallas Stars. I know that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I see the Sandman Hotel. Look. Look pretty nice. Um, uh, well, it's funny because I kind of know the ins and outs of that family, and they're a bunch of the most cheapest people you ever see in your life, man. <laughs> and they own the construction company. And I'm not going to, you know, I can't say I'm not a construction expert, but they were cutting a lot of corners. Oh. <laughs> oh. That sounds like the uh, yeah. the guy that did did our roof on our old home. Uh, he tried to cut some corner. He didn't want to put the um, before you put the tar down and and the shingles down. You had to put the the paper up under it, the plastic up under it. Yeah. And and when he ordered supplies, he didn't order enough. But he tried to have his crew to do it without it and i built the relationship with the crew and made sure they have water or whatever and and the, and the guy told me he said man this guy need to bring some more of this uh uh his sheets out i forgot the proper name of it this plastic out to put up under there because uh, if he don't and if anything ever happened to your roof your insurance company would not cover it and um something like that uh so the guy tried to get a try to take shortcuts and i told him no because i told him my friend i don't do anything shady and he didn't realize that until he started the job and i stayed on him i said look we're not taking shortcuts that's something i'm not gonna do What happens when moisture sits in your roof? It starts to rot over the years. So on about, see that's the thing. Like they can cut that out, and you're not going to see the effects of that till like five years down the road when you know they're long gone, right? Yeah. You can't make a claim on. <clears throat> Which but I yeah, the, the construction stuff you you got to be careful. Yeah, there's a lot of shady contractors out there. Yeah, try to try to cut costs and give you the lowest price and. I think it was probably eight months after we got the roof done, we ended up selling the house and moving anyway. So, um, oh, okay. but we don't have to deal yeah, with that's it. The thing a lot of people when they buy a house, like everything can look okay on the outside, it's what's <laughs> inside is what matters, man. <laughs> you know, like uh, there's there, there's so many um, contracts. 
directors, like I've known over the years, they say most of their work is fixing work of bad contractors. That that's the majority of their business. Because I remember one guy, he um, he he did it on the side, like he would do bathrooms and things like that. And he said he would go to a job and he would quote it, and then um, the client would phone him and say, "Well, no, this other." You know, these other guys quoted it at this, and he said, it's like, there, there was guys out there that were giving them, the client a price of what he was just spending on material, not including the labor, and he's going, I don't understand how anybody <laughs> could, like, do a job for that cheap, right? And then uh, he'd say, usually, about six months later, he'd get a call from the same client for him to go down there because the thing it turned out to be a disaster. It wasn't done properly. Sure, I'll go. But if I got to clean up... They don't like regulation, right? So, like, everything should be on the honor system. So, we should just all trust everybody, you know? No, don't do that. You'll get burnt. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's that's a big Republican thing. Well, deregulation makes a better free market. Well, when somebody's building a house, yeah, no, you kind of want them, like, sticking to the building codes. That's kind of an important thing, you know, that... Yeah, and I would tell anybody. I would tell anybody if you are buying a home, please spend the money to get it inspected by somebody who have good reference. Because um, when we purchase our new home, um, I've called several uh, inspectors, and then I finally picked this one guy. And I'm glad I picked him because when he came out, um, we was getting ready to do our walkthrough. And even this uh, the construction guy for the home, he was like, man, y'all have a great inspector because I worked with him before and this guy's really thorough. So he was he was on top of it. Uh, so I would recommend anybody to go ahead and if you purchase in a home, new or used, definitely get it inspected by inspector. Yeah, that is, some guys, they go online and they complete some two-week course and then they can become home and start. Don't do that. Those guys. Don't do that. Uh, that's never a good thing. <laughs> so definitely get it inspected. Everything's a scam these days. You're always going to vet everybody. It's not like the... You know, it's not like uh, like it was before. Now you can just go online and print yourself a certificate in this. And I don't know. Yeah. Things have changed since I was a kid. Online, you can do a lot of things online. You can become a doctor, a preacher online. Uh, just get yeah. a get a piece well, of paper. Or they ain't online. <laughs> but. Well, that's, that's what I heard because his dad, uh, like, I guess he just declared himself a preacher, but he was not affiliated with any kind of, uh, you know, like organized religion, like in, in terms of, you know, like an established church in that state. So basically, I guess you can do that. I can, you can just form your own uh, thing and say, okay, well, I'm a preacher. Well, well, big deal, right? I mean, what's, 
what's a preacher gonna do if you know he's not building your house for you so. true well it's it, it's a difference because every preacher you you definitely don't want to follow because everybody ain't ain't preaching the word truthfully. That's why you should study the word for yourself. And then you have a lot of people that call themselves. Who is that? <laughs> Jim Baker. Oh yeah, you don't want to follow him. <laughs> and and then there's a lot of uh, people who call themselves preachers, and then there's a lot of them call themselves bishop, self-made bishops. And uh, it's whatever you want to call yourself, but that doesn't mean I'm going to follow your teaching. Because if your word and your actions not lining up together, I can't do it. Um, hey, one thing I wanted to ask you is, when did um, they have to start having armed security in churches? Was that always like that, or is this something that's only happened in the last couple of decades or something? Uh, I'm going to say in the last couple of decades when mega churches start taking over. Uh, of course, when you have mega churches, you have a lot more people. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, people start paying attention just because it's a mega church. They feel like it's a lot of money. And they're kind of like First Sunday, the movie First Sunday with Ice Cube and... Um, and um, um, Cap William in it, where Ice Cube and uh, Mike Epps was going to rob the, uh, not rob Mike Epps, uh, I forgot who that was that was working with him, but uh, they was going to rob the church. Um, and with doing that, they felt like it was some money because it was a mega church. And because of that, people had to get armed security. Then you have like like the one in um was in North Carolina Charlotte uh South Carolina where the guy came in and shot up the shot up the uh Bible study. Yeah, that was a Bible reading group, right? Yeah, it was a Bible study. Yeah. I believe it was on a Wednesday night, a Bible study. So when you have people coming in like that you want some form of security there. Matter of fact, last month or earlier this month, it was a guy came into a church service waving a gun and the pastor came up behind him and, and uh, tackled him and tucked the gun. I wouldn't recommend you doing that. But at the same time, this guy came into a church doing that. And I don't know if the church has security or not, but if the church did have have security, it could have prevented some of that. That pastor wouldn't have put itself in harm's way. That, that's too bad that you actually, because up here, like, um, there's no armed security in churches. Well, we don't have mega churches up here, though. Um, but yeah, I've never heard. I've, maybe they hire security in some of them, but like our security up here, you can't be armed either. It, it, I, I just was wondering, like, when that kind of started, because I think, like, like forty years ago, it wasn't like that. Mm, it it been like that for a while, because I I've, I've been in my church for uh, twenty years, and uh, since I've been there, they've always had police officers there. 
So, and I want to say even, I want to say even back in the early 2000 or, well, back in the 90s, I want to say they had some form of police officer on staff uh, at certain churches, uh, either directing traffic that was doing security and stuff like that. So, uh, here in Dallas, I can't speak for everybody, but it's a lot of mega churches here in Dallas, and um, good thing they, uh, I want to say majority of them have police officers that is doing the security. So it's not yeah, just. Yeah, I guess that's her off-duty. Uh, yeah. That they pick up on the weekends, yeah. Yeah, off-duty job or whatever, which um, is always good to make it, make you feel safe. Yeah, uh, you in there trying to pray and worship the Lord, and now you got to keep one eye open, making sure ain't nobody trying to yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to that's do crazy. nothing to you. So, but that's um, I I think it had to been at least twenty to twenty five years now. I don't know for sure, but it wow, really? it been a while here in Dallas because Dallas always had matter of fact. It's been longer than that um, because even growing up, I guess about 15 to 16, it used to be a mega church over off of Ewan over in Dallas. And um, they had police officers out there directing traffic uh, for the simple fact. I can see, yeah, I can see the directing traffic part because, yeah, it would, a mega church, like that's a big parking lot on this. They didn't have a big parking lot just where they was located. It it could get yeah. congested, so they had them directing traffic, and also, I'm sure they had someone stationed on the uh, pastor and inside of the church too. Uh, all aboard said churches and state, especially minority churches, was targeted with bombing and violence. Yeah, that's the four little girls of. Um, that was killed in the church in um uh it was it Alabama or Miss Yeah, Alabama. Um yeah. It's um it always been targets. So uh, in the sixties I think they started having organized security. Yeah, back then we had to provide our own security because unfortunately back during that time a lot of places didn't have black black police officers which um i know for my church we have different uh different race of police officers so um long as long as they protecting and serving that's all that matters and so um so that's cool radio yeah, Yeah, in this society today, you need. Matter of fact, several years ago, uh, over at Abak, Dr. Ricky Rush, this pastor there, he actually was coming into church one morning and someone uh, held him at gunpoint 
And I want to, I, I remember the story, but I want to say the guy was basically coming to rob him or whatever. And somehow I think he just convinced him not to do it or whatever. And he turned himself in. Yeah, so it's it's a target because when people think just because you have bigger things, it it you have a lot of money, but you got to realize just because it's big, and those suspenses goes up too, and you may not have the money that you think they have. So, um, um, so that's that's unfortunately. That's the society that we live in today um, because a lot of people actually um, uh, feel like they find that it's easier to um, to actually go and steal instead of working, unfortunately. So, yeah, everybody's looking for the... The quick payday. Yeah. <laughs> so... But it well, it looks like Kyle Rittenhouse he found a quick payday. Like uh, that that jerk is gonna make money off this one. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But it won't be long. It won't be long. As soon as you do something else. Five cent bet. Like I, I told you, he will be in trouble again. It, oh yeah, most I'll, definitely. I'll go on the limb and say at least the next five years. He'll he'll be in some kind of trouble. Most definitely. All aboard says she have a question for you. Come on with it, all aboard. Yep. Um, I don't know if you can see them or not, radio. Uh, okay, she haven't uh, brought it up yet. Um, so she probably typing it right now. But yeah, most definitely this this had really been a good night. It, I didn't realize the time. Uh, I this is really peaceful for me to get on here and talk because it's a lot that I deal with behind the scene, and uh, I hate when I'm unable to come on because I'm I've been trying to come on since Friday because I had said Thursday night if they came out with the verdict on Friday I was gonna. Um, come on and do a show, but I've been working so much. I come home, give me a bite to eat. Well, I take me a shower, give me a bite to eat, and I'm in the bed. I'm in the bed. That's that's oh, how. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you get home from work, and you know, like you, you you don't feel too bad. And then about 50 minutes, when you relax, you don't, you know, when you eat, you don't feel like really doing that much. Yeah, and then like even tonight, I actually got off early today, and um, got home early. Got home, took a shower, got a bite to eat, and I'm sitting here trying to prepare for the show. I found myself eight o'clock. I I think I'm just old now. Uh, <laughs> eight o'clock is like like. Oh man, I'm sleepy. It's my bedtime, so uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, but it seemed like soon as eight o'clock hit, I just started getting sleepy. I'm like, oh lord, five thirty gonna come too early in the morning. <laughs> but actually, I say five thirty. Yeah, 
I say 5.30, but I actually get up at 4.45 in the morning and try to leave house, leave the house since by, by 6. Uh, Olive Boy says, since Cal's first victim couldn't use self-defense by approaching him, do you think Aubrey Killer has a chance saying the same defense, if that makes sense? I guess that's the question she have for you. Oh well, well again, like uh, I'm not up on the Georgia self defense, but if I was a juror, it would be reasonable for Ahmad Arbery to think that these guys were trying to rob him or they were um, trying to do him harm. So when he saw the gun. You know, like I said, it, he, in his mind, it's like, well, I'm going to confront the guy with the gun. And, and the thing was, from what I saw in the testimony, none of these guys even said to him, like, all they said to him was, well, we just want to talk to you. And then I think the other one was, stop, God damn it. Well, who, who the hell is going to stop and, with a bunch of armed people in, in a pickup truck? True. So it would be reasonable for, for him to assume that these people were going to do him harm. True. So I don't think that, I don't think, uh, what's his name, uh, the Travis McMichael, is that the guy that shot him? Yes. I don't think that's going to work for him. And also, too, like in this case, uh, what really struck me, too, was I thought the uh, prosecution did a way better job than what they did in the Rittenhouse trial. And the judge in this trial is a lot more, like, just has way better temperament and is a lot more professional in the way he conducts this court. Um, the defense lawyers, again, like I said, I, I, I never felt the defense lawyer, they will, you know, they are beholden to their client to do everything they can to, like, um, to defend them, but I think that the defense just doesn't have a lot to work with because the video's there. And um, these guys aren't cops. Travis McMichael gets out of his truck with a with a shotgun, and uh, you've got their father with a, what, what do you have, a three fifty seven Magnum. You know, I, I don't see a lot going in their favor now. Again, like any jury, you don't know which way they're going to go. And I know there's a racial um, element to this. Uh, they had problems. Um, it took them a long time to select the jury. Even the judges said, like, the racial makeup of the jury, you know, could be in question. You know, I think there's one African-American on the whole jury. <laughs> so, um from a lot of other sense, if I was a juror, I, I think it would be absolutely reasonable that he thought he would, they were going to do him harm. So, um, him going after Travis, you know, again, I, I would say to anybody, if you're not armed going after somebody with a, with a firearm, I don't know if that's the best choice, but in his mind, he wasn't being pulled over by the police or this wasn't some official kind of citizen's arrest. Like, um, that doesn't, and during the whole chase, he never even said anything to these guys. So he was just trying to get away. So that's sort of my take on it. Yeah. And, and I believe Gregory is a ex-cop. 
uh, a retired police officer. Now, here, here's, I know this is going to start up a whole nother conversation. Um, here's something else that came out today where the defense described Ahmaud Arbery talking about he was just a tall black guy with dirty toenails. What yeah, in the, that, was, that was just what? What in the hell do toenails have to do in a murder trial? I mean, really? I don't know. And 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 I seen yeah, that, that struck me too. I seen the the uh uh video the um statement that Ahmad mother made after and I know She's like, I want to know what do his long legs and dirty toenails have anything to do with the murder of my son? And unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, you know, if you say that to the wrong person, she might get, that defense might get snatched. Be like, hold on, woman, that's, that's my damn child you talking about. Um, but I think, um, I personally, hold on, let me start this up. Man, time be flying, don't it? Hold on. 